Hi, this is Nikki from deglazing.com. Welcome to my first podcast. Today's show's topic is going to be Thanksgiving. With a big day around the corner, I know many of you are freaking out trying to figure out how you're going to serve your entire family in your living room with the things that you have on hand. Don't worry, I have plenty of solutions, tips, and ideas, and there'll be show notes on the website for you to follow along. So let's get started. Let's start by talking about turkey. There are a million options out there for you to make your bird. Some of the different ways that I've seen it done can be quite interesting, quite fun, and a little adventuresome. My suggestion is that you just do a typical roast turkey. How I like to do my turkey is with a herbed butter. So typically what I do is I take the turkey, I put my hand underneath the skin so that I can remove it a bit, and then what I'll do is I will put an herb butter in under the skin and also on top of the skin so that as it roasts it keeps the meat nice and moist but it also allows the top to get nice and brown. Some of the more interesting methods that I've seen for turkeys are uh, trash can turkey. Trash can turkey is an interesting one. My aunt actually introduced me to it uh, at one of our family gatherings and needless to say it was a fun process to watch and it's just a good conversation starter. So. If you live in a climate where it's a little bit warmer and you want something a little bit different to do with your Thanksgiving, you can set up a trash can turkey. And all it entails, really, is you take a stick and you put it in the ground, and then what you do is you place the turkey on top of it. And then over the turkey, you set a nice clean trash can. Yes, clean trash can. Please do not use the one from your kitchen. And make sure that it's metal because it's going to need to be heat resistant. So when you put the metal can over the top of it, then what you do is you line the bottom with aluminum foil and you put hot coals on the top and the bottom of the trash can. And essentially what it does is it creates an outdoor oven. It's a really funny thing to watch. And the turkey looks kind of funny just kind of being there on a stick, but kids love to see it. And what happens is as the trash can heats up, it creates an oven and the turkey cooks very similar to like it would in a normal oven, but it's outside. So it's quite an interesting process. It's a lot of fun. Um, if you go to the website, my website, deglazing.com, you can check out the show notes and I'll send you s- some links on uh, places that you can check out trash can turkey for yourself. It's very interesting. One of the other methods that I've seen that I think is a little bit dangerous and a little bit fun, I mean, let's put it bluntly, sometimes danger is a little fun, uh, is the deep fried turkey. Uh, deep fried turkey is common, typically in the south, you see it a lot. And what it is essentially is you take a turkey and you deep fry it in a vat of oil. Uh, a lot of people use peanut oil, things like that, nice light oil. And you bring the temp up to like 375, you drop the turkey in, and it cooks a lot faster than it would in a normal oven. Like three minutes a pound. I mean, it's ridiculously fast. And the reason why people do that, or at least the reason that I've heard people say, is they enjoy the crisp texture that the oil gives to the skin. It gives it a really nice crisp skin. I, on the other hand, am not a big fan of deep fried turkey. Uh, I think with all the other sides that are filled with fat and grease and all kinds of other things that you probably don't want to be ingesting for the whole year, why make the main meal just as fatty and, you know, not as healthy as it could be? I know butter on roast turkey isn't exactly perfectly healthy, but it's a lot better to roast your turkey than to deep fry it. So those are a couple of the ways that I've I've seen uh, turkeys done. I've also seen roast turkey done with olive oil. Um... Olive oil is wonderful for turkey, and it's wonderful for you, for your body. 
Uh, I've seen people basically just baste the turkey with olive oil and herbs, and I think that's an excellent way to go as well. So those are a few of the ideas uh, for taking care of turkey. I know there are many other ways. Um, let's talk a little bit about turkey, the way that you purchase it. There are a couple of different kinds of turkeys that you can buy out there. I do have some suggestions, and I do have some feelings about different types. The most common type that you find is at your local grocery store, and it's frozen. And a frozen bird's fine. Uh, you just have to make sure that you purchase it in time enough that it can sit in the fridge and defrost for a couple of days. The safest method to defrost your turkey is in the refrigerator. Do not leave it on the sideboard, on the counter, and let it just sit there and defrost because what happens is turkey and poultry especially, any type of poultry, they when they come to you, they have their skins on them. And from what I heard from Harold McGee, which is very interesting, he had an interesting audio clip, and I actually have a link to that on my site as well, is that the skin is actually the problem with the turkey. It's not the meat itself so much as the skin. The skin is where a lot of the bacteria lives in the birds. So you want to be extra careful when you use poultry. And that means washing down your surfaces, making sure you clean your hands regularly, taking care of your knives, using a separate cutting board, all those sorts of sanitary things that you should really consider because the last thing you want on Thanksgiving is your family to get sick from food poisoning. It's just not a good thing. So my suggestion is if you buy the frozen turkey, put it in the fridge a couple days beforehand, make sure that it gets thawed really nicely. My best suggestion, though, is to start with a nice fresh bird. And there are different types of fresh birds that you can get out there. I personally prefer like a free-range organic bird. I just find that they're not treated with as many chemicals as the normal birds that you find out there. They can be more expensive. So, you know, if you can't afford one, go ahead and use just the regular fresh turkey that you find at the grocery store. Of course, it is going to be pricier than the frozen, but it is so worth its weight. And I have tried both, and I can honestly say that I find that roasting the fresh turkey is so much better than the frozen. So those are just a few of the, the things I think about when I think turkey. Um, the other thing that comes to mind when I think of turkey that typically people ask about, there's some questions on it, some issues with it, is stuffing the bird. Um, Stuffing the bird is a big controversy for a lot of people. Uh, I've seen it a couple of different places, and I've actually read a couple articles, which I think were very helpful in my understanding of stuffing the bird. One of the issues that people have when they stuff the bird is that they overstuff the bird. And what happens when you overstuff the bird, it actually slows down the cooking time of the bird itself, and the stuffing inside the bird oftentimes does not come up to temp high enough to kill the bacteria from the bird itself. So... If you're going to stuff your bird, stuff it lightly. And make sure that as the bird's getting ready to come out, you stop, you check the stuffing with an instant read thermometer and see that it comes up to 160 degrees. If you hit 160, you're fine. Bring the bird out. My other suggestion is if the bird's done and the stuffing isn't, take the bird out, take the stuffing out, put it into a pan, and stick it back in the oven with aluminum foil over it until it reaches that temperature that you want to make sure that it's safe at. Because like I said before, you want to be careful with salmonella. Oftentimes, people who do not like stuffing in their bird for those reasons will just fill the cavity with aromatics. And when I say aromatics, what I mean about aromatics is things such as onions, herbs, lemon. Those sorts of things will scent the bird. And a lot of the process of us eating and enjoying food comes actually more from the scent than from the actual taste itself. We have a much higher level 
of sense with smell than we do with our taste buds. So if you want to try something a little different, maybe a little Italian twist, throw a couple of lemons, some onions, some rosemary, thyme inside your bird. You'll find it makes a really nice fragrant bird. And, you know, you don't have to worry about the stuffing issues. You can always put the stuffing on the side. So those are just a few of the things that I think about when I think of turkey. Uh, in the next segment, we'll talk a little bit more about pies and issues that people have with pies and things like that. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome back. Let's talk a little bit about holiday baking. I know it's a thing that strikes fear in the hearts of many, but it's actually not that big a deal. And it's so much nicer to have something that you made yourself. My suggestion is, if you have some recipes that you haven't tried before, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, like right about now, maybe this weekend, take some time and try to make the recipe that you want to make for Thanksgiving dinner. It's not going to be a waste. People are going to love it. And you'll get a chance to try some of your skills. Some of the things that I know that bother people the most about pies is trying to understand what needs to be refrigerated, what doesn't need to be refrigerated, can it be made ahead, can it not be made ahead. Here's a rule of thumb. If your pie is a custard-based pie, which means it has eggs or milk in it, like a pumpkin pie, a custard pie, something like that, you want to make sure that when you take it out of the oven, you give it time to cool down to room temp, which is about two hours. At that two-hour mark, make sure you get it into the refrigerator. Uh, the reason why you want to put it in the refrigerator is you want to, you know, stave off bacteria, make sure that you don't have anything happen to the pie and, and deteriorate the quality of the pie or make it so that somebody will get sick. So take those custard pies, get them into the fridge. They can last a couple of days in the fridge, two to three days. So if you want to make your pumpkin pie in advance, that's a great option. Take, make it a couple of days ahead, stick it in the fridge. It'll be nice and ready for you when you're ready for it. The next type of pie that you want to think about a little is a fruit pie. And fruit pies are a little bit different in that fruit pies can be made in advance, but they can be left out. They don't need refrigeration. And it's something in the fruit itself. I remember reading an article, and I can't quite remember exactly what it was. But there's something in the fruit itself that causes it to be shelf-stable, essentially. I'm not saying you can leave it out for two weeks, but, you know, a day, two, maybe even three days your fruit pies will be fine on the sideboard. You don't have to refrigerate those. And that'll keep you from having to take it from the fridge and, and back and forth. Uh, and it'll save some uh, fridge space for some other stuff that you need during the holidays. Um, another suggestion I have for, bake, for your baked goods is make anything you can in advance. Say, for example, you know you're going to make a couple of pies. Take your, your favorite pie crust recipe and make up a big batch of it. Stick it in the freezer, and it'll be fine there for a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. I mean, you could leave it in there for up to a month. And then, you know, the day before Thanksgiving, take it out, put it in the fridge, let it defrost, and you'll be ready to, to use it just like you would anything else. Or you can make your, your pie doughs in advance, like a day before, and they can stay in the fridge overnight. That's perfectly fine. Um, and, you know, a little secret between us, I'm not going to tell if, if you don't. You can always use a store-bought pie crust. If you're totally uncomfortable with pastry, I know a lot of people are, buy your crust. It's not a big deal. And I know that millions of other Americans are going to do it, and probably millions of other people around the world do it, and it's not a big deal. So if you're uncomfortable with pie crust, give me a little tricky. You know, go ahead and, and buy your pie crust. I do like uh, mixing butter and shortening uh, when I, I make my pie crust. And the reason is each lends something different to the pie. Shortening actually gives a nice t 
texture to the pie crust itself. But butter is the flavor that people want. So I mix the two. And I actually have a recipe that I tried that I really like. Uh, it's Alton Brown's recipe for pie crust. So I will put that up on the website and you can go and check that out. And it's fairly easy to make. Uh, you can make it in your food processor or you can do it by hand. Either way, it's pretty easy to make and uh, I think you'll like it. So we talked about custards, we talked about fruit pies. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other baked goods that you might be using at the holidays. Um, some of the other things you might want to make, uh, and they can be made in advance and frozen, which is a really great idea, uh, are things like biscuits and rolls and different things like that. The thing you want to keep in mind, say you do make your biscuit dough and you take and you freeze them individually uh, beforehand. When you take it out and you put it in the oven, just put it straight in the oven. Don't defrost it because, as you know, with baked goods, the most important thing is the butter chunks in the pastry or the baked good itself. And that's what causes you to get a nice flaky biscuit or, you know, pie crust. So if you take and you defrost your biscuits from the freezer, you're going to melt the butter and you're going to make it so that they're a soggy, icky mess. So make sure that you just take them out, pop them straight into the oven at the temperature that you'd normally cook them at, and just give them a little bit more time to cook. They'll defrost as they cook. So you can do that with biscuits. You can also do that with rolls. Um, I know myself personally throughout the year I like to make large batches of things like pizza dough, and then I cut them down into small individual portions and I freeze them. It's a great way to make things in advance when you have time, when you're not busy, when you're not stressed so that you have something you can go straight to your, your freezer and get it. You can use your freezer like a pantry. Most people use the freezer like it's an ice cream storage unit. That's not the only thing that your freezer is for. I assure you, the freezer can be used for many things. And I make all kinds of things and put it in the freezer. I uh, The other day, in fact, I made 15 loaves of mini bread and stuck them in the freezer because I knew the holidays were coming. And I might not have a chance to make things in advance before you know, somebody showed up, or I had guests. So I made lemon loaf, I made orange cranberry loaf, I made pumpkin bread, and I made banana bread and mini loaves, and I froze them all. And Thanksgiving morning, when everybody shows up, I can take, you know, the day before and take them out, put them in the fridge, let them thaw. And then Thanksgiving morning, all I got to do is cut them up and put them on a platter, and people have breakfast right ready for them, and I didn't have to spend my morning, Thanksgiving morning, doing that. So think in advance. Desserts are great. They're probably the thing that everybody's going to remember. You know, people know the typical things and everybody's going to say, oh, it was a great meal. But the thing that people always remember is dessert. So take that extra effort and make a really great dessert. But a lot of the stuff you can do in advance. One of the things I learned today that I didn't even know is with pumpkin pie, you can take and make the filling, make the pie crust, and you can freeze them separately. And then you take and defrost them in the fridge and you can put them into the oven like that. I mean, it's it's that simple. Uh, the thing with the pie crust, of course, where it has butter in it, is you want to make sure you defrost it in the refrigerator, not, you know, on the sideboard or something like that, because you will melt the butter. So those are a few things to keep in mind. Some of the, the things that uh, cross my mind this time of year that are really interesting are substitutions and things like that. I know people are always saying, well, I just didn't have that in my pantry. I didn't know what to do. One of the major things that I think uh, people don't recognize, or a lot of people do, one of the, the substitutions that people hear a lot about is buttermilk. Buttermilk is fabulous. I love buttermilk in baking. I use it all the time. I use it in 
muffins and scones and cupcakes. I mean, it is absolutely fabulous. The trick is, if you don't have buttermilk, take whole milk from your fridge, pour out the same amount that you'd use for the buttermilk, and then subtract a tablespoon and put lemon, fresh lemon juice, in its place. So say you had a, you were looking for a cup of buttermilk. Take a cup of whole milk, remove a tablespoon of it, and then put a tablespoon of lemon, fresh lemon juice in its place. And what happens is that lemon juice curdles the milk, similar to the way that it would be with buttermilk. Um, in fact, a lot of recipes at times will tell you to do that. Uh, so, you know, if you need something to replace buttermilk, that's a great way to go. Uh, some of the questions that people ask me that I think are interesting and kind of fun and some of the stuff that I, I geek out on as a foodie are uh, some of the scientific principles behind things. I absolutely love Harold McGee. I am a huge Harold McGee fan. And if you have not read on food and cooking, I highly suggest you pick it up. Another great food science book that a lot of people know a little less about is Bakewise. And that's a really fun one, especially if you're big into baking like I am. Or you're, you know, trying to figure out why your holiday disasters happen or why your pies never come out just right. Bakewise is a great book for you. Um, It's actually written by a chemist who is a food science chemistry person. And it is absolutely fascinating and so much fun to read. So let's talk a little bit about some of the science behind baking. Uh, One of the things that comes to mind when I think baking is leavening agents. Now, leavening agents are are fabulous. What is a leavening agent, you might ask? Leavening agents are actually the things that cause your baked goods not necessarily to rise, but uh, it creates the air holes in, say, like bread. Uh, actually, in Bakewise, the, the book, you'll find that uh, people often mistake that it caught co- that leavening agents cause the things to rise. It's actually the air bubbles that it creates that causes the rising. It doesn't actually create like larger air bubbles. It just creates more of them within whatever the batter is, and that allows the bread to puff up or the muffins to, to come up. So the typical leavening agents that you see um, are actually quite similar. The two most popular are very similar and almost identical, except one has a little bit more of a chemical in it than the other. And those two chemical leavening agents are baking powder and baking soda. They're actually identical, except baking powder has um, cornstarch, I believe it is, that's added to it. And what happens with uh, baking powder and baking soda is they're actually chemicals, actual chemicals that are used to create the leavening process in, in things. There are also other ways that breads and baked goods get their leavening. Um, when you think of, of breads and baked goods, a lot of the leavening comes from eggs, egg whites, things like that. You'll see a lot of times in different recipes, they'll take and separate the egg yolk and the egg white, and then they'll whisk the egg white until it, it's firm and glossy, and then they'll fold that back in. And what that does is it creates more of the bubbles and more of the air in the batter. Um, I actually, one of my favorite, absolute favorite pancake recipes uses folded in egg whites, and I, I just think it's absolutely fabulous. Um, I'll actually put a link to that on the website as well. And that recipe comes from one of my favorite cookbooks, which is the the Bon Appetit uh, cookbook. And it is phenomenal. If you're looking for a great place for baked goods, any recipes, I mean, this book is fabulous. It has everything. You might want to check that one out. Uh, The other thing is, I don't know if it's still true, but when I purchased it, they were having a promotion where if you purchased it, then you would also get a free year of Bon Appetit, the magazine. So... 
that's a good thing to look for. Gourmet was doing one similar when they did their big, big cookbook. Okay, so we talked a little bit about baking powder, a little bit about baking soda, and just some of those sorts of things. Uh, you know, baking is a science, and that's why a lot of people have a hard time with it. So the thing to keep in mind when you're baking is when you first get a recipe, do it exactly as it says in the recipe. And then as you get more comfortable with things and you understand how things can repl be replaced within your recipe, then you can start changing it a little to fit more your interests. But at first, you want to make sure you get the exact chemicals, the exact flour, the exact sugar down so that it rises, it's not flattened, it's not gooey, those sorts of things. Um, but baking's fun. Give it a try. Baking is a lot of fun, and I know a lot of people are freaked out by it, but I spend a lot of time on my website uh, with baking, and actually probably my, my biggest life dream would be to be a pastry chef. I would absolutely love to be a pastry chef. I think it's one of the most fun, creative, interesting processes there is, and I want people to see that it's not that hard. It's not that difficult. Um, you know, like the discussion of leavening agents, another thing to think of when you think of leavening is yeast. Yeast is a really, really fun ingredient to work with. At first, it is so scary because you're worried that you're going to kill it. The temperature of the water is going to be too high, and the yeast is going to die. It's not going to activate. After you make your first yeast product, you're totally comfortable with it. You feel fine. You're actually really excited because you got to see the whole rising and and all the whole process of using yeast. So you know, give it a shot. One of the recipes that I have listed on the website is a recipe for cinnamon rolls. You see the whole process of, you know, the rising and then beating the dough down and the rising and beating the dough. I mean, it takes a long time. It's a long process, but the cinnamon rolls are fabulous. They're a lot of fun. They're something that you could do with kids, you know. you got to think in terms of, the quality of the ingredients that you're you're getting out you know a lot of people are like well i could just buy that in a grocery store yeah but you don't get the fun you don't get to the science you don't get to see the things rising and you don't get to feel the dough and understand why it's smooth or how it has a texture or this or that and i just want people to to maybe step out there a little bit and give it a shot you know and if you have any questions feel free to send me an email uh you know, and if it's something that I can do by video or by podcast, then I will certainly answer it. Or you can send me an email if you want it to be private, or I can keep your name private. Uh, but, you know, get out there, try it, enjoy it, have fun. And, you know, especially this time of year, man, you, you really want to want to do some baking. So I'm going to put up on the, on the website a list of cookie recipes that I've created over the years that I think are fabulous for holiday gift giving. Uh, maybe some brownies, some bars, things like that, so that you can get a chance to get out there and really try your baking skills. And I tell you, if you if you get out there and you try it, you'll probably fall in love with it, and it'll be something that you do for the rest of your life. So it's a great a great thing to learn. Um, so that's the the baking segment that I have for Thanksgiving. And in the next segment, we'll talk a little bit about some of the the tools and and tips and tricks of the trade to make your Thanksgiving absolutely wonderful. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next segment. Hi, welcome back. In our final segment, we're going to talk a little bit about some tools, some tips, some tricks, just some things to make it so your Thanksgiving goes off without a hitch. Some of the things that I, I think about when I think of uh, Thanksgiving tools is I just picture people running to William Sonoma and dropping down wads of cash, 
so that they feel like they have everything that they need to make a proper meal. I can assure you, you do not need half of the things that you're going to purchase for the one-time use. So be smart. Think of the things that you'll use, maybe again, things that you could share with other people, maybe things that you'll have for years to come. So some of the like cheaper things that I think that actually you should have and are very important and useful for Thanksgiving cooking are things like, the first thing that I can think of, probably the most important thing for anybody cooking meat at all, is an instant read thermometer. Um, Instant read thermometers are fabulous. You can purchase them fairly cheap. Uh, I've actually seen them as low as six dollars and some change on Amazon.com. And an instant read thermometer is fabulous because it helps people who maybe aren't in the food industry or aren't in restaurants or haven't been around food a whole lot to know when things are finished. Uh, It's absolutely important to know when meat is is cooked and when you should take it out. Uh, One of the worst things about Thanksgiving that everybody worries about and everybody frets about is the dry white meat. Nobody wants to eat dry white meat. I can assure you nobody wants to eat a cup of gravy and dry white meat. So One of the ways to stave that off is to use an instant read thermometer. The instant read thermometer you can insert into the side of the the turkey to find out the temperature, and when it's ready, you can take it out. Um, The other suggestion I have for moisture in your meat, or or making sure sure your meat stays moist, is there are two things you can do. You can baste the turkey, so continually you go back and you inject the turkey with with liquids and fluids. Or, one of the, the simpler ways to do it is to use like an herb butter and then to take the bird out and let it rest. Like so many other types of meat in cooking, allowing the meat to rest allows the juices to redistribute back through whatever the meat is so that the first cut isn't juicy and then everything else is dry. Everything's juicy. So a good idea is to let it rest uh, with, you know, just like a aluminum foil tent over it to, to keep it warm. One of the next tools that I think, um, when I think of big meals and holidays and things like that, is a roasting pan. Roasting pans can be astronomically expensive. I have seen them so expensive that they make you want to cry. I mean, they are—they can be that ridiculous. And I got to admit, I have spent money on pans that would probably make a lot of people cry. But the other side to that is I've absolutely loved those pans and I've had them for many years and I will continue to use them for the rest of my life. But if you're not the person who does Thanksgiving every year, you're not the person who hosts and you don't have big parties and you're not always roasting things, you're not going to want to spend two to $300 on an all-clad roasting pan. If you are one of those people who, who throws parties all the time and you are the house of choice and you want an heirloom to pass through the family, I say go ahead and splurge and buy the all-clad. I mean, who wouldn't want the nice all-clad roaster? But if you're not, like most of us aren't, um, roasting pans come in many shapes and sizes. They're non-stick, they're stainless, they've got racks, they don't have racks. It really depends on kind of what you're looking for. I personally really enjoy stainless steel cookware. I, I love it. And I know a lot of people are afraid of it because they, they're not sure of things sticking to it. They're not sure how to use it. Um, but once you get to use it and you see that it's not as scary as it seems, it's a really wonderful tool. And an alu- an, uh, sorry, a stainless steel pan is wonderful because when you take the bird out, you take the bird out and you're letting it rest, 
you can just use that pan on your burners on the stove to make your gravy. So that's a really fabulous thing to think of. As far as expense goes, uh, the way that you can cut expense that I found is to hit discount stores. Um, some of the, the good discounters that I've found are places like TJ Maxx and Home Goods, which are actually from the same company. TJ Maxx and Home Goods carry a lot of really high-end, good quality merchandise at a lesser price. I mean, I've seen some decent KitchenAid roast pans uh, there from anywhere from 30 to 65 maybe $70. So if you're looking for a less expensive alternative, that might be a good place for you to go. Um, and, you know, if you're, only roast, if you're only roasting one turkey in your entire life, by all means, feel free. <laughs> go ahead. Use the disposable pan. The thing to keep in mind with disposables is they're not, they're not durable and they're not sturdy. So when you put the bird in, you have to be very careful. And when you take it out, you have to be equally careful because they are so heavy that you could easily spill the bird onto the floor. And that would not be a good way to spend your Thanksgiving. So just a few things to keep in mind with roasting pans. Um, one of the things I think that every cook should have and one of the things that you will use, I swear to you, you will use it every week of your entire life, is a nice mixing bowl set. And I'm not talking about, you know, the high-end expensive mixing bowls that you see through, like, Stonewall Kitchen. They're, like, three beautiful, I mean, they're absolutely beautiful pottery bowls, but they're, like, $75 for three bowls. What I suggest is if you want a good set of mixing bowls, buy a set of glass mixing bowls. I love glass mixing bowls. I use them all the time. They can be used in place of a double boiler. They can be set over pots and pans and used to melt chocolate and things like that. Absolutely fabulous. They're easy to clean. They can be put in the refrigerator. I mean, they're just, they're wonderful. My set of mixing bowls actually came from Williams-Sonoma. And to be honest, one set is just not enough. I think I'm going to need a second set pretty soon because I just use them. I swear, when I go to the kitchen, it's like I have them all out everywhere. So I'm going to need more. I know that. But I absolutely love them, so I'm going to purchase another set through Williams-Sonoma. I bought my mixing bowls, which was a set of 10, Duralex bowls from France, through Williams-Sonoma for around $30. Um, and I think that's that's more than reasonable. But if you want a less expensive alternative, you can buy some other brands like Arc and some of those brands you can buy on Amazon. I've seen nine piece, ten piece sets for as little as fifteen dollars. So I mean, that's a, a really nice price for uh, a nice set of bowls. And I swear you'll use them frequently. The other tools that I I think are extremely important, uh, especially this time of year, are are uh, having some Pyrex measuring cups uh, in Pyrex plates on hand. I also think it's important to have a nice set of dry measures. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. What is a dry measure? What is a wet measure? Well, a cup of milk is different if you put it in a dry cup measure or a glass measure, um, an, a fluid measure. And you know, it might not be a major difference, but in baking, it's extremely important that you have both. So I have two, I actually have two sets of dry measures, an odd and an even set. And then I have a couple of Pyrex glass liquid measures. And the liquid measures are fabulous. You can buy them in a variety of sizes. I mean, from very small to very large. Uh, I currently, in my cupboard, have a four cup measure and a one cup measure. And I use them equally. Uh, I use them both a lot. I love the four cup measure a lot, but I love having the one cup around too because it actually has the, you know, one third a cup, two third a cup, a fourth a cup, 
uh, where the bigger measure doesn't have as many of the marks on it, so it's harder for you to measure like that. I absolutely love Pyrex. Pyrex is fairly cheap. You can buy it pretty much anywhere. Uh, you can buy it at uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, Linens and & Things, those sorts of places. Uh, the other thing that I have from Pyrex that I absolutely love is my Pyrex glass baking pie, pie dish. I absolutely love my glass pie dish. Love it. I use it all the time. It's something that um, our grandmothers used. I mean, these bowls and plates have been used for centuries. Well, probably not centuries, but decades, definitely. And uh, I swear by it. I, I use it all the time. I love it. So it's, it's a good thing to invest in. Okay, so that's kind of a few of the tools. Uh, I just want to talk, you know, this is assuming that you have some of the basics in your kitchen. I, I want to assume that you have some cutting boards, a decent knife, you know, some of those sorts of things. Another tool that I just thought of that came in my head that's kind of important um, is a microplane. Uh, I know we see them and people think they're trendy or whatnot, but I can assure you that if you get a microplane, you will use it every day. Uh, it is one of those tools that does so many things. It zests fruits, it does cheeses, it does nutmeg. It's a really wonderful tool, uh, multi-purpose, and it's fairly inexpensive. I mean, $20 for a microplane. So if you don't have one, it's a great thing to put on your Christmas list, and uh, maybe Santa will put it in your stocking. So those are some of the tools. Um, some of the tips that I have for this time of year, because this time of year can be so hectic and crazy. Uh, one of the things that I think of when I think of, of this you know, time of year with its food orientation, and I absolutely love this time of year, by the way, I just, I'm such a fan of the holidays, is the use of fresh herbs. Fresh herbs are phenomenal, and they're going to do so much for your cooking. If you haven't used them, I highly suggest you, you get some and just play with them. This time of year, some of the, the good fresh herbs to have around are the, the poultry-oriented ones, so I would suggest things like rosemary, thyme, sage. They're fairly inexpensive. You can buy a bunch at the grocery store um, of each type for like $2 a piece. I mean, they're great to have. You can use them in everything, stuffing, turkey, all kinds of things. So definitely think of fresh herbs. One of the other tips I have is, uh, you know, if you just don't have the time and you know that the most important thing to you is the turkey, then do the turkey and supplement your menu with store-bought things. You can also always ask your guests to bring their favorite dishes. You want it to be a collaborative effort. You want everybody to feel involved. So definitely buy some of the things that you can't make and invite other people to bring things with them. Um, Another thing that's important for holiday baking is thinking of the timing of things. You know, you know you've got this big block of time. Say you only have one oven. The bird's going to take up the whole oven, and all that's going to go in there with it is maybe the vegetables. So if you have just one oven, think of the timing. And, you know, just in general, think of timing. There are many things you can do in advance. Um, So do those things in advance. And get yourself set up with a nice game plan. Uh, some of the websites that are really great uh, for tips and ideas on that kind of thing are Epicurious. Uh, if you haven't checked out Epicurious.com, it's a wonderful website. Uh, Food TV is doing a big Thanksgiving piece right now. There's a big push going on. So check out those sorts of things. You know, Go to those websites, get some ideas, and, and try some new things. Uh, one of the things I like to do personally for my family is to set up a kids-only area. Uh, so when the kids come in, there's a place they can go. It's all activities that they can play and do so that they're not in the kitchen, maybe, you know, in places that they shouldn't be. Unless they're older and they want to come in. I love having my older niece and my older nephew come in and, and help me out. I mean, it's a great thing. It's a great family building activity to cook. So, you know, if you've got some kids that are old enough, bring them in. 
The other kids, though, set up an activity area where they can go and play. They've got their toys. There's things everywhere for them, coloring books, that sort of thing. It's a great family activity, you know, have that little activity area. That way everybody kind of feels a little more calm and, and welcomed. Um, invite your family into the kitchen to help you out. Most people have this thing where it's like, no, I own this Thanksgiving. It's mine, and I'm not sharing it with anyone else. I will prepare everything that is on the table. That is not necessary and really not what Thanksgiving's about. The holidays are about sharing and being with your family. So if they want to show up early and help you put stuff together, get them in the kitchen. That's what I say. I mean, when my parents show up early on Thanksgiving Day, my dad's going to be in the kitchen with a knife, dicing up onions and helping me get ready because I love having him there and he loves being there and it's a great family activity and we've been doing it that way for years. So don't feel like the whole pressure for the perfect day is on you. Share it. Share it with the family and make it an activity where everybody's involved. And my last tip, and I think it's a big one and a good one to think of when you're stressed out and you're worried and you're freaking out. Laugh. Laugh a lot out loud. Laughing is so great. And the thing is, things don't have to be perfect. These are people you love. These are your family and friends. They're not going to be all upset if you don't have the absolute perfect Thanksgiving. In fact, some of the worst Thanksgiving disasters have become some of the funniest stories that people share at Thanksgiving. So don't feel like it has to be perfect. And don't feel like you have to make Gourmet Magazine's cover. Although it is very beautiful this month and very lovely and probably quite simple. And you could make it. Because I believe that anybody can make anything if they try. So just keep in mind, it's fun. It's family, it's friends, it's a holiday. Enjoy it, love it, you know, and, and really savor it. So those are just a few of the things that, uh, that I, I think about when I think of the holidays. And I can see that this, this segment's going to be a little long, and this show's probably going to be a little long for you. But it is my first one, and I'm learning. And I hope that in the coming weeks I have questions uh, asked from some of my listeners and readers, and that... You get really jazzed up about cooking and understand that everyone can do it. You do not have to be a trained chef. In fact, I am not a trained chef. I've never been to culinary school, although I wish I could. Uh, I am not a chef, and millions of other people out there who make really fabulous food are not chefs. You do not have to be perfect, and it's about having fun and trying new things. So get out there, get in the kitchen, and the holidays is the best time to do it. If you have any questions or you have any suggestions or you'd like to see certain things on the show, I am more than welcome to suggestions, and I love to hear from you. I do not hear from you nearly enough, so please take the time and shoot me an email and tell me what you think. Uh, So happy holidays, happy Thanksgiving, and enjoy your family and have some fun. And thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with another podcast.
My theme was brought to you by podcasttheme.com.